Let's just take a moment and pray as we get into this passage of Scripture. Father, I pray that you would use my words and, uh, and, and open my heart to speak forth um, the things that you want to say. And for each person here, I pray that you would give humble, open, receptive hearts that we might become more like you. Um, meet the needs of people's hearts this morning through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever lost keys and you've done that and, and, and maybe sent you into a panic. That was a kind of a daily occurrence in the home that I grew up. My father was constantly losing his keys. But you do. You kind of get panicked and you search and you look. And uh, I don't know if you heard this past week about that Nebraska family that was coming in for the gopher game. And he ended up, the dad locked the keys in the cars. And he locked it in the car and took about a, two hours to get the family out. Um, which really, um, it's not as bad as the Green Bay fan who was coming in last night. I don't know if you heard this one as well, his son's K fan. But um, he had been coming in, he's, he's driving this hot convertible sports car. Green Bay fans are a little arrogant right now. He's tooling along, stops at a place, gets something to eat, comes back out, realizes... He's locked the keys in the car, calls the locksmith. The locksmith says, I'll be there in about two hours. He starts to panic a little bit. And he says, no, you've got to come right away. Can you come sooner? Um, my top's down and I can't, you know, it's going to rain. Uh, I figure when you have bad teams, you resort to bad jokes. But you know what? If you lose your keys, you understand the value of them, especially if one set of keys is all you have. And you realize those keys open doors that can start cars. They on computers can move programs. They can actually unlock opportunities that would be closed without them. There is a key that Jesus talks about that is so vital to what is involved in a growing and healthy relationship. And if you're really going to develop the kind of community that you want to experience and open the doors to the kind of intimacy you want in your own family, that you want in your own marriage or in a relationship with boyfriend, girlfriend, or with friends, this key is not optional. You actually have to carry this key with you throughout your life. And so where there is vulnerability treasured, and where you're seeking to nurture it, whether you intentionally or unintentionally cause someone to be offended or you are offended, Jesus leads to this most important lesson. And he says forgiveness is key in your relationships. It is essential to keep the doors open and even to open doors to go into further intimacy with other people. So if you look at Matthew 18, as we've been looking at it, and you, you kind of do this review, the question is asked, who's the greatest? And the question revealed again that these people, these disciples whom he's been training now for two and a half years, don't quite get it. They're living in a kingdom that is about power. It's transactional. Your relationship is by transaction. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't quite understand it. Um, the kind of kingdom I brought is relational, and it has all kinds of other ways that keep it going. It's not transactional. And if you live in a transactional kind of relationship, you will never get what your heart most longs for. 
So Jesus pulls a child over and he begins to teach. And we look at this really as lesson one. If you look at Matthew 18, those first three lessons, it's all about vulnerability. He says, my kingdom is not about power. It's about intimacy. And he takes a little child, puts his hands on that child. And he says, you need to become like a child and become vulnerable. Intimacy grows in vulnerability. And then he goes in verses six through nine. And he says this about it. When when you are moving into a place where vulnerability is being um, treasured, you also need to realize this truth. That um, the use, misuse, and abuse of those who are vulnerable is one of the worst things you could do. Jesus says, better that you have a millstone hung around your neck. I mean, it's the same way we would feel. You know how outraged you are when you, when you hear reports on TV of some, some monster who takes a child and totally violates them. That's the picture Jesus is talking about in vulnerable relationships. You've got to become like a child. Intimacies around vulnerability. And when you have vulnerability, you better be careful because you do not want to get into a place where you abuse and you misuse that kind of vulnerability. And so in verses 10 through 14, Jesus gives one last lesson. He says the reason you need to see and understand this is because there are vulnerable, lost, hurting people who want a relationship with the Father. And if you understand the Father's heart... You as my community. This is not the kind of community I want to create. The kind of community I want is intimacy. And the kind of community that reflects the Father of God is the kind of community that goes after those who are vulnerable in the same way a shepherd goes after a lost sheep. These are the kind of communities Jesus said I want you to develop. You develop safe places for those who are vulnerable and seeking after the Father God. So then he turns to lesson number two, and we went through this verses 15 through 20 of Matthew 18. And he basically says, don't forget, when you start creating safe places where vulnerable people show up and intimacy begins to start taking place in this kind of community, in this kind of family, in this kind of relationship of a marriage or friendship, you need to also understand that because when you're vulnerable, you're open, you are going to either be offended or someone is going to offend you. There's going to be the need for the hard work of staying in relationship. You see how Jesus is moving along? He's saying you've got to work hard at it. So in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, he shares with you what you need to do, how you maintain what I call strong, vulnerable, intimate relationships in a healthy and godly way. And now he comes to this point because Peter is getting the same question that many people are asking. When you're in this kind of situation and you've been hurt and you've been hurt again and again, how many times do you let someone hurt you? And Jesus moves to lesson number three. And lesson number three is this. The key to intimacy in a broken world is forgiveness. The key to to intimacy with people who have um, selfishness in their hearts. Anybody here not somewhat selfish? A little bit? The key to this in a broken world is forgiveness. And as Peter's listening, he asks a question, and I think he's quite vulnerable when he asks this. He's really kind of putting out there, how often do you need to forgive, is Peter's question. And, and, the, and the rabbis of his day said three times, the fourth time you, you can you know, forget the relationship. And Peter vulnerably is stretching the limit and says, how about seven times? Which in biblical numbers is a sense of completion. And in a sense, what Peter is basically saying, do I forgive as often and as much as I can in my strength? And Jesus says, no, Peter, try 70 times seven, referring back to a place in Genesis and and also a place in Daniel where this number 70 times seven means to forgive fully and completely as God can and God will. I want you to note something when you listen to the words of Jesus to this question that Peter asks, it can reveal in some ways the kind of kingdom you're living in. 
If you hear that question of Peter, he says seven times and, and, and then you hear Jesus answer and you kind of are thinking Jesus is going, Peter, you idiot. You're probably living in this other kingdom over here. Because you're living in this sense of judgment. You know, if you really listen to the way Jesus, I think, is responding, he's looking at Peter, who's just become so vulnerable. He's oh, Peter, oh, Peter, I love you. You are, with all your strength, trying to serve me and follow me. And he, and he basically says, Peter, you're just about there. Because when you get to that seventh time, you get to the end of your strength, guess what? You are now finally stepping into the place where your limit puts you into the limitless love, life, and power of God. When you're ready to become poor in spirit, you are now in a place where you can become rich in my spirit. And when I show up, I can do things in you that you could never, ever do in your own nature, your own natural strength. Guess what? When you come to the end of that, I'm so glad you're getting this, Peter. You're no, you're not, he's not thinking of him as someone silly or stupid. He's going, Peter, you're so close. Because when you're ready to come to the end of your nature, you begin to open yourself up to the supernature of God. So this passage comes now to what it means to forgive big in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Beginning in verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. So now he goes on to the story after he's made these, this first lesson of how often. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had, he sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they, they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master, verse 32, called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And catch this line. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus had just said to Peter, forgive often. Now Jesus adds a story and says you need to forgive big. I heard this story once a number of years ago from a pastor who shared it in a more modern day parable. And I'm just going to use that parable again because I think it's so helpful in understanding it. So let me just share it this way. It'd be as if the story was put in present day. And the auditors are going through the books of this um, CEO's, um, this owner. He has this company and, and they stumble on what first appears to be just a minor discrepancy. And these auditors begin to pull the thread and they find the books have actually been cooked. This is kind of an Enron, WorldCom, subprime stuff. 
And it's the kind of thing that will send shockwaves throughout the entire business community. There will be headline news. 60 Minutes will be on it. There will be 2020 investigative journalism that will follow this story as soon as it hits the airwaves. And they understand as they pull the thread, whoever's behind this is going to face major criminal charges, the maximum sentence and fines that a person could get. And the threat of embezzlement unwinds finally at the feet of the controller, the guy who's supposed to take care of in one sense and, and manage the assets and the finances and funds of the company. So the Brooks are, are brought before the owner and they're opened up before him and, and these auditors lay it all out. And what was rumored to be just this minor embezzlement scheme of just a couple million dollars is basically really a Bernie Madoff-sized debt that this guy owes. If you look at Matthew 20, 18, verse 24, the actual Greek word states that this man has sold 10,000 talents. In that day, a talent was worth about 20 years of a day's labor wages. Now imagine this. Jesus says this man stole 10,000 talents. And which of you are accountants and good with math have already done it in your head? That's 200,000 years of a day's labor's wages. Think of that. And in the days of Jesus, this was comparable to the amount of taxes collected by Rome for all the provinces of Israel. This was what I call national-sized debt. And this is the kind of offense that came to the owner. This guy who has done it is staggered by the amount of this, what this one man has, has stole. And, and, and the, um, everyone is there expecting the owner to tar and feather this guy, hang him by his toes, throw the book at him. I mean, this guy deserves the maximum of maximum sentences. And there's anger and disgust is, is running rampant throughout the company. Can you believe it? This guy has got to pay, is what everyone's feeling. And so finally the man gets to notice that he's to appear before the court. He understands he's been caught. He's panic-stricken. For the first time, the mess he has made with his life is is right before his eyes. There's no more denial. There's no more wishful thinking. Reality hits hard. He's crushed by what he's done. And worse than that, not only what he's done, he realizes what his greed has done to his family and to his family's children and their children. And there's no way out. Judgment days come. He's finally faced the verdict that all those years he was hoping would never, ever happen. But just prior to the court appearance, the owner summons him before him and some of the other officers of the company. He wants to meet with him. And so the owner has him come before him. He opens a book. The hard facts of what he's done, his crime, stare him right between the eyes. He, he's standing there speechless and trembling. He's guilty. It's caught red-handed. Billions of dollars. And he can't even get his mind around the amount of what he has actually stolen. And he just knows, he's thinking about it, trembling. There's no way he can pay up. You see, in Christ's day, this meant his punishment and his crime meant that not just would he be in prison, but actually his whole family would be in prison and sold as slaves for the period of time until the debt was paid. And he's thinking, that's 200,000 years. 
That's eternity in his mind. It should be the consequence of his sin. No way to repay. Have you ever come to that own that place in your own life where as you kind of begin to think about your own your own obligation, your own sense of um, what you owe to God, what the distance must be? What do you do? How do you ever repay a holy and righteous, perfect God with all the imperfections, all the sins of our life? Have you ever been gripped like this guy is as he's standing there speechless and trembling with the amount of debt you owe morally to this God who has created you, who owns us all? Now, here's the amazing thing in this story. Jesus continues to tell it. These guys, I think, are riveted. He's, now, remember again, he's not talking to a bunch of Pharisees. He's not talking to the multitude here. He's talking to his disciples who are supposed to understand the kind of community they're to create. So he begins and he goes on with the story and he talks about this, this self-made, hard-driving businessman as he stands before the owner. This guy is trying to figure out what to do and, and he gets his thought and said, he says, just maybe, maybe I could do this. It's really the only thing a sane person can do. And he just shamelessly falls on the floor and he begs and cries for mercy. Weeping and hunched on the floor, he's gasping out, please, to to this owner, please, would you have mercy on me? I mean, I've hurt you. I've, I've, I've destroyed my family. I will repay whatever I can, but would you just, would you have mercy on me? Now, can you imagine what the other officers who are sitting there at the table are thinking? They can hardly believe their eyes. This is incredibly disgusting. How shameless, how humiliating, how ludicrous to think that by falling on the floor and begging for mercy with all that he owes, that he could ever expect it. But if they looked surprised when they saw this guy on the floor, They were completely thrown for a loop when they looked over at their owner, CEO, and his face that was hard with judgment begins to soften and compassion begins to show in his eyes. And they begin to start thinking, no, boss, don't do this. Don't fall for this guy. Don't. You can't be serious. And before anyone can say anything, the owner calmly motions for the criminal to stand before him. And as this man stands before the owner, as he gets up off his feet, the owner says to him, guess what? I'm not going to press charges. I'll cancel your debt. I'll pay it. You can go free. You are completely forgiven, which the word means let go. And this guy can hardly believe his ears. He was hoping for mercy. He really wanted just a lesser sentence, probably even just for his family. But here he's standing before this this owner who looks with compassion and gives him grace. Not a lesser sign. He gives him actually more than he could have ever thought of. He pays his debt in full. And the guy jumps over the table, grabs the guy, the owner, hugs him like crazy, shakes the hands with all the other guys who hardly want to touch him. And he runs out the door and he's running out the door. He's going, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. 
Because he walks out a free man. His mountain-sized debt canceled. His crimes forgiven. The burden of guilt that he's been carrying for years, which now over time has gotten heavier and heavier, is, is just rolling off his back at the words of this owner who says, your billions of dollars, your debt, your moral-sized crime against this owner has been paid in full. You're released. And here's the point Jesus, I think, is making. Every person on the face of this earth has racked up that kind of debt before God. He is your creator. He is your owner. Everyone will face a day of reckoning. There will come a day when each of us will stand before God and have to give an account of our lives in all its fullness. The word of God says that. Jesus says this. And when God opens the books and our lives are audited before him, We will be looking at how we responded to him, the way we treated others, the way we have failed to treat those in need. Every motive, every thought, every action will be accounted for. Every offense, every crime will be listed. Every lie, every shading of the truth, every hateful look, every word of gossip, every malicious conversation, every lustful thought, every bit of greed, every broken promise, every envious desire will be itemized out. Before this God. And we will actually crumple at his feet speechless and trembling. We will be floored by our sin. But I think many of us live daily like the embezzler in this illusion of denial. And we think we're better off than we truly are. And I don't think we really have any idea how much we have offended God. How much we offend others. Now, I say this at this point as I'm thinking through this message and and, and looking at this. And I go, think about it again. He's not talking to the multitudes. He's not. He's talking to his disciples. And the point of Jesus is that our debt is no different than this crooks. There's only one way out, he says. Genuine repentance, honest confession, godly sorrow, and a humbly turning to God for for his forgiveness is the only way is the only way for every person, whether you are a follower of God or not. Every person will stand and every person right now stands before this God. And there is only one way out. It's repentance. It's asking God to forgive you for something you could never pay. But the great deception I think we all face is we fool ourselves into believing that somehow we can pay God back. We can be good enough. We think even after even after coming to recognition of this, one of the things that Jesus was so afraid of in the community he was creating, that he wanted to be vulnerable, that he wanted his vulnerability to to be in such a place when people are hurt and there's pain that is caused, that you work hard to work together to work these things out. He says there is a key. There is one key that will keep the debt from getting so great and so big that you will not. If you don't use it, you will then begin to build up. This debt that separates you. But there is this key of forgiveness. And when forgiveness is given, that forgiveness removes all that and begins to place you in a place where you can be in relationship with one another. And I think we kind of think that somehow that as we live this life, we can we we can be good enough and we can transactionally live in relationship once again with others and with God. And we concoct all kinds of schemes and we hope if we do good things and become religious and give money to a charity and serve at a food shelf and attend church, that somehow we'll pay back our eternal debt. 
And when you read Isaiah, he shoots a hole right through all of our human effort. Where we think in any way that we somehow delude ourselves into thinking we can be made right with God. And he says this, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up. And think about it, you know, the leaves that you see falling on the tree. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And Jesus is standing here and he's saying there's only one way out. There's only one way out you can offer to the world if they want to be in relationship with me. Because of the mountain-sized debt that they have accrued. There's only one way and it's through this repentance and forgiveness. It's a falling on your face before God and recognizing and saying, you know what, only if I can come before you and recognize that you make things straight and you make things right. In fact, Jesus came to clear up the confusion. That's the whole reason he came to this earth. He came so that he might die on a cross, so he would take and he would pay in full the sins that we've accrued, that you've accrued. And out of love, God offers forgiveness. And Jesus, through his death, pays the price so that you can be in relationship with him. But I think this is interesting because Jesus doesn't stop the story here. I need to say to you, if you're in a place where you have never come to the realization of what your debt is before God and what you owe him, and you've never come to the understanding that someday you'll have to stand and give an account to God, and those things will be itemized out, that if you've never come to the place where you've recognized your sin and you've fallen on your knees before God and said, God, would you forgive me? It's as simple as that. It's the greatest gift you can receive. I want you to think about that. If you are here and you're in that place and you've never received that gift of relationship with God through the forgiveness of your sins, I would not want you to leave here today without knowing that you can receive that. But I also want you to know that Jesus was making the story and intending the story to go on. It's a little bit like the story you see in Luke where he talks about the lost son. Because when he talks about the lost son, we all stop there. We all stop at this point and we go, this is what it was all about. It's about bringing the lost son. It's about bringing that person with the debt of sin back into relationship so they can have forgiveness with God. But he doesn't. In the last son, he talks about the elder brother. In this one, he goes on. Because what happens so often in the church is we lose sight of the fact. We, through our own self-righteousness and through the subtlety of our own sin, begin to real, forget how important our relationship is with others. And so Jesus um, answers Peter's question with this story. How much should I forgive? How, how big should my forgiveness be? And he goes on and he tells the story. He says it should be as big as God's forgiveness. And he contrasts it. And he says, the man who walked out the door overjoyed as a free man, as he's walking down the road, he sees Joe. This guy owes him about $2,000. He's just been freed. He's just been trembling. He's just been overjoyed with billions of dollars released from his shoulders. He's walking along and he sees Joe. And Joe owes him about $2,000. In Matthew 18:28, the NIV literally says in the Greek language, it was a hundred denarii. A denarius was the usual wage that was paid daily for a day laborer. So let's just put it in our terms today that if it's a hundred denarii, let's say it's, it is about $2,000, $200 or so on a daily basis. And he threatens Joe to pay up. Joe asks for a couple weeks, just a little bit of money. Ticked off, he grabs Joe by the neck. He says, you no good crook. He starts to choke him. And he says, if you can't pay up now, and then he sends him into prison. And the owner hears about it, and he asks him, how could you demand from Joe a measly $2,000 after I've released you of this much? The whole point of this is this. And I don't think Jesus is pulling any punches. I think he's looking all of us right in the eyes. And he's saying this. Forgiven people forgive.
If you have been forgiven by God, a mountain-sized moral debt, a Bernie Madoff size of crimes before his kingdom, how can you, how can you hold even this small little debt of someone else in your hands? Demand payment. Walk around offended. Tell other people about the payment that this person owes you. Create a climate and a culture that talks about the forgiveness of this moral-sized debt but can't let go of the small debts of others. And Jesus makes it really clear. This isn't a choice. This isn't an option. Life from God, the key to relational intimacy is forgiveness. And so I ask you kind of like what Mark asked when he led in worship this morning. Is there anyone, and I mean anyone, who owes you a debt? You feel offended by them. Here's the thing, folks. You can feel offended by someone and the offense that you've taken because you have the spirit that, takes, that is offended may not even be assuming or correct on the judgment you've made on the data that you see out there. They may not even know. That's why Jesus back there in 15 through 20 says, you, if you're feeling offended in any way, you need to go to that person and, and you need to, if you have to, go with someone else. But the worst thing you can do is to talk to someone else. The best thing you can do is go to the source that can actually do something about it. And forgiven people forgive. It's as simple as that. So are you demanding someone to pay up? Does, it even, does that person that you're demanding it from even know? Disgusted and angry, the owner turns this man over to the authorities to, to execute the same justice, catch this, that this man was demanding of Joe. Matthew 18.32, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I have canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? You see, the experience of being forgiven leads to giving the experience of forgiveness to others. The more fully you feel the forgiveness of God in your heart, the more fully you want to be giving that to others. The experience of truly knowing how much you've been forgiven leads to giving much forgiveness to others. How big, Peter? And if God has forgiven you a mountain-sized moral debt, then how can you demand from someone a few sins they've committed against you? I love this passage because Jesus is always concerned with the seasoned churchgoer. He loved the older brother. He loved the Pharisee. And what he was afraid of more than anything else was this community he was creating because of the subtlety of sin, because how easy it is for us to feel self-righteous. We would move into a place where we would talk about the forgiveness of God and how incredible it is to be forgiven by God and yet walk around with grudges, with hurts, with, with offenses, in the very community that he wanted to create. I was um, this past week meeting with an individual who had recently um, asked Christ into their heart and not too long ago, a few years back. And as a result of the work that God has been doing in their life and drawing them into a deep relationship with, with him, you know how that happens as you start to walk with God. You at times begin to walk away from some of the things that you, you had done that 
before you knew God and before you began to experience his fullness in his life entering into your life, you were trying to get life from other things. And in getting life from other things, you also hang around with other people who are getting life from other things. And as you begin to make those changes, the very changes in the self cause changes in relationships. And this person was sharing that with me and was sharing with me the difficulty and the pain that that he was experiencing because of a close friendship that he had. Someone very close in his life. Things were now changing, not because he really intentionally did anything, although he may have. But that there wasn't any really awareness of that, that there just was changes because of the life that had been changed. You know how often people are offended because of change, not because anyone intentionally does it. Just change occurs. And so things have become a little bit fractured. And, and so finally, this person met the other day with this individual whom they dearly care about. And, and the person said to me, what I love about this person said to me, you know what? I ate crow. I said, what do you mean you ate crow? Well, you know, I just went ahead and I just had to assume some of the hurt and pain, and, and, I, and basically what he's saying is I, I, I came into it recognizing more important than trying to defend myself. I just wanted to come in and, and mend things. You know, when you're in broken relationships, I've had this experience with someone who really hurt me very deeply at one point in my life, and, and I was in this kind of defending mode, and, and finally God said, I could care less. It's not about defending, explaining. It's just you're needing to come to that person and just say, you know, if I've injured you, hurt you, I really don't want that to be the case. I would like for us to be right. And so the person wrote this letter. Dear John, I've changed the names. Tommy was my best friend in high school and early college, and he and I thought with the same wavelengths. We did some wild and goofy things. He was fun. We are still good friends communicate seldom. Tommy was my best friend during my youth, and you've been my best friend during my second youth. And so now looking in the eyes as he reads this to his friend, he says, you and I have also think on the same wavelengths. We have also done some wild and goofy things. And having one truly close friend like Tommy was a blessing, and I've been lucky enough to have two. And I love this line right here. This is, this is it. Somewhere along the line, I think I injured our friendship. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. There wasn't all kinds of explanations. You know, there wasn't all this defend. It was just a, a sentence of mending. Somewhere along the line, I think, because I don't think he's even sure. I have injured our friendship and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. We are both going through some changes. I have changed things about myself for the sake of my physical and spiritual health, but I don't want to lose my best friend. I want us to be there for each other, even if our wavelengths don't always line up perfectly, your friend. You may need to deal with someone. It could be in your family. It could be at work. It could be in this community. And things may be changing. It could be some of that. And you know what? The wavelengths may be not always hitting the same. But Jesus is all about people being vulnerable so that intimacy can grow. So that as they do step on one another's toes and people do get offended and do offend, they work hard 
Because relationship in the kingdom of God is so important and he gives us one incredibly supernatural key that is really hard to do in our own strength, especially if you feel like you have been wronged. It's forgiveness. Because the life, the power, the energy, all of that comes when people can stare eye to eye, right into one another's eyes and say, guess what? Whatever. I really care about you. I care about you more than being right. I care more about being in right relationship. I say that. You may need to do that personally, but I say that because um, I believe there's some relationships within our church that has, that has to happen. For God to use us the way he wants to use us. And I just commit that I, I want to be that kind of pastor. I want you to come to me. I want you to come to our leaders. I want us to come to one another. I took this call a number of years ago for one reason and one reason only, and that is I want to kind of create the kind of community that I believe will help people know that they're loved by God, will allow people to live in freedom and grace, will allow people to experience the Holy Spirit, will be given to try and reach this next generation, because if we don't, we're in trouble through a church that is worshipful, prayerful, and spirit-filled and on fire for God. And may nothing stop that. Because for this church, we will all stand before God. It's His desire. For this place, for your family, for some of your wives and husbands, some of you may be some people at work. Forgiveness is that key. Let us pray. Father, Is an opportunity right now for us to come to you with the fullness of who we are. So I was praying about this this morning. I was so impressed, God. I was thinking of some areas in my life where I'm, I've blown it and I feel the weight and the burden of my own um, sin. I feel the, the pain of my own, my own choices. And I was thinking about it and I was thinking, you know, What's so incredibly cool about you, God, is that even in, in our sin, you love us. I mean, we could be, anyone could be sitting here in some place, in, in a place that they feel they're distant from you or they, they know that they've sinned, and yet you still love them. So if that's your heart, I'm just asking you to come before him. As we sing this song, just come with yourself before him. And if, if God is calling you to do something, maybe he's saying for the first time you need to open your heart and he's ready to forgive you of all that you've ever done. He's saying, forgive yourself in this now. Would you come to him in this song and just offer yourself to him, we pray. Let's stand together and sing this.